0: Look at Job 9, excuse me, verse 4. The first sentence there, God is wise and all-powerful. God is wise. God is wise. I want to talk about the wisdom of God. Keep your finger there in Job 9. I'm going to have you turn just a second. Talking about the wisdom of God and what I appreciate about, uh, Jessica's song is one of the implications of the fact, we're going to talk about God's wisdom today, how God is wise. One of the implications of the fact that God is wise is that we trust Him even when He doesn't do things like we think maybe He should. (laughs) Even when things don't go the way that we think they should, we still trust Him anyway because we know, we trust that He is wise and powerful and loving and we're going to focus on that aspect of God's wisdom. Flip over to chapter 12, Job 12, verse 13. <clears throat> Excuse me. Chapter 12, verse 13. It says, Wisdom and strength belong to God, counsel and understanding are His. Whatever He tears down cannot be rebuilt, whoever He imprisons cannot be released. When He withholds the waters, everything dries up, and when He releases them, they destroy the land. True wisdom and power belong to him. Okay, Go back to verse 13. Verse 13 says that four things belong to God. The author here highlights fourth. Actually, it's Job speaking. Four things belong to God. What does he say? Wisdom and strength belong to God. Counsel and understanding are his. Three of those four words are are wisdom words, if you were. Wisdom, counsel, understanding. They belong to God. God is wise. Alright, here's a question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is wise? What's your opinion of God's wisdom? That he's pretty wise? That he's really wise in some areas, but in other areas, uh, you're not so sure if he's wise or not. Do you think he's so wise that you follow his counsel every single time? Or if you don't follow his counsel every single time, why is that? Do you detect a flaw in his wisdom, in some of what he wants from you? So we're going to investigate God's wisdom a little bit. The question we're answering is, what does the Bible say about God's wisdom? What does the Bible say about God's wisdom? We're going to break it down into four different areas. And first of all, we're going to talk about the scope of God's wisdom, the scope of God's wisdom. And I just want to look at some verses here. The first one is from Jeremiah, uh, I think it's chapter 10. Yeah, Jeremiah chapter 10. It's up on the screen. Yahweh, there is no one like you. You are great. Your name is great in power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? It is what you deserve. And here's the key. For among all the wise people of the nations and among all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. Oh, sorry. It would be helpful if I put it up, right? For among all the wise people of the nations and among all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. God is, what is this verse telling us? This verse is telling us, among other things, God is wiser than everyone else. God is wiser than all. But he's not just wiser. He's far, far wiser. So that, 1 Corinthians one twenty-five, God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And we're speaking, uh, we're speaking kind of tongue in cheek because God has no foolishness in him. He has no folly. But if he was, if there was folly in him, it'd be far wiser than God's wisdom. But the Bible goes even further on God's wisdom. Not only is he far, far wiser than anyone else, but look at these next two passages. Isaiah chapter 40. Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. No limit to his understanding. Psalm 147.5. Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. It's infinite. His wisdom is infinite. There is no limit to God's wisdom, which gives rise to these next two verses. Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth... Of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, the depth of the riches of the of both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, how untraceable his ways isaiah fifty nine for as, as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts so romans romans the the Romans verse says that god's wisdom is deep, uh, so deep it 's beyond us, and the Isaiah passage says that god's wisdom is way higher than ours any way you look at it god's wisdom is out of our league it's out of our league when i was in middle school uh, my school was pushing me my middle school was pushing me to take the pre-sat so i was preparing to take this pre-sat and uh i took the math study guide for the pre-sat to my church because our pastor was a math genius. He was a math genius. And so one day after church, I took the pre-SAT, and I had a couple questions about some problems. Actually, I had tons of questions about a lot of problems, but I wanted to focus on a couple. And uh, he, after the service, he graciously sat down with me, and he's far older than I was. He was an old man at the time when I uh, was really old then. Uh, probably 50. No. <laughs> anyway, but he was very gracious. He sat down. And he started explaining to me how these problems worked, and uh, as, as he was explaining these things to me, uh, two things dawned on me. Uh, one of the one thing was that uh, I realized that I wasn't going to be the math prodigy that my school was hoping for, <laughs> and uh, also I realized that my pastor's uh, math smarts were far, far, far <laughs> beyond what mine were. Now, the gap between my math smarts and my pastor's math smarts was great. But compared to the gap between God's wisdom and the collected wisdom of all human history, that math gap between my math smarts and my pastor's math smarts was virtually negligible. God's wisdom is so far higher. Collect all the wisdom of the ages. Collect all the, wisdom, all the human wisdom of the ages and put it all together, and it doesn't compare at all. With God's wisdom because he he is infinitely wise he is infinitely infinitely wise he has perfect wisdom What is wisdom? Let's take a moment to define wisdom. What does the Bible mean when it says that God is wisdom? Um, I like Wayne Grudem's definition um, Which is uh, similar to many other I, I read I was reading different definitions of wisdom and they're all very similar to this and here's what Grudem says. God's wisdom means that God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. Out of all the options in any given situation that is put before God, God chooses the best option, the best goal, the very, the very best goal. And then in order to reach that goal, he always chooses the best means of achieving that goal, the very best strategy. It's not enough to have the right goal. You have to employ the best strategy, one that will both reach the goal and that is in keeping with integrity and righteousness. And it's not all, it's not, it's not enough to be a great strategist. You have to have the right goals. All right. You can be a great strategist and work towards evil or work towards something that is foolish, even though you don't see it at the time. You have to have the best goals. You have to have the best means. And then finally, note that word always. God consistently does this. He is infinitely wise. He has perfect wisdom. God never makes a mistake. He never exercises poor judgment. He is never misled. He is never duped or deceived into anything less than the best goals and the best means of reaching those goals. He is never in a position of having to say, well, if I would have known that, you know, I would have done it differently. He's never in that position. A.W. Tozer writes, all God's acts are done in perfect wisdom, first for his own glory, and then for the highest good of the greatest number for the longest time. And all his acts are as pure as they are wise, and as good as they are wise and pure. Not only could his acts not be better done, a better way to do them could not be imagined. That's the perfect wisdom of God. And this, by the way, is an argument for the necessity of the cross, for the necessity of the crucifixion of Jesus. If there was a better way for God to save us than by the crucifixion of Jesus, he would have done it. He always chooses the best, uh, the best goals and the best means. The cross was not an accident. It, It wasn't simply an example of sacrificial love. It was that But it was also more than that. It was absolutely necessary in order to accomplish our salvation. So that's the scope of God's wisdom. He's infinitely wise. Let's talk about the evidence of God's wisdom. The evidence of God's wisdom. Where can we see or observe God's wisdom? Well, in creation. God's wisdom is evident in creation. Psalm chapter 104. How countless are your works, Lord. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, vast and wide, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. In wisdom you have made them all. And the animals of the world, the animals of the earth, testify to God's wisdom. I remember years ago watching a uh, documentary, uh, it was probably on PBS, um, on slugs. <laughs> all right. And, and they had this expert on slugs on. She was an expert on slugs. She had studied slugs for years and years and years. And she, and she was fully enthusiastic about her work of studying slugs. You know, because she marveled at the design and the movement and so forth of, of slugs. Uh, she, what, she, what was she marveling at? She was marveling at God's wisdom revealed just in Slugs. Um, God's wisdom in creation. Uh, Proverbs chapter three: The Lord founded the earth, what by wisdom, and established the heavens by understanding. By His knowledge, the watery depths broke open, and the clouds dripped with dew. So the waters of the earth reveal God's wisdom. Uh, Jeremiah chapter ten verse twelve: He made the earth by His power, established the world by what His wisdom, and spread out the heavens by His understanding this verse is found in jeremiah chapter 10 verse 12 and it's repeated in jeremiah fifty-one, fifteen. identical verses and the context in both places is a context where god is being compared to idols and false gods that people worship and the difference between god and the false gods is the false gods didn't make a single thing <laughs> and god made everything all right by his wisdom we see wisdom in creation i see wisdom for instance in the sun and the sun in the sky. The sun in the sky sometimes, uh, leaves me in awe when I think about it. I think about the fact that it's 93 million miles away and it makes me hot. <laughs> um, yesterday we were at the picnic, you know, and I was playing, I was playing, uh, catch, uh, baseball catch with my, uh, with my son Luke. And, um, we were throwing the ball back and forth and I kept trying to stay in the shade. Because every time I stepped out of the shade, I noticed the temperature difference. Isn't that something? 93 million miles away, and if I'm in in the shade, I notice a temperature difference than when I'm standing in the direct, in the direct sunlight. That's, that's just, that's amazing to me. Um, oh, there's a picture of the sun, in case you forgot what it looked like. Um, Mercury is the closest to the sun, and it has a temperature range of 290 degrees on its cold days, uh, to 800 degrees. Uh, Interestingly, Venus, the next planet, is the hottest planet, uh, partly because of the makeup of its its atmosphere. Its average temperature is 864 degrees. On the other side of the Earth is Mars. Its average temperature, if I can trust the Internet, is negative 80 degrees, minus 80 degrees. The distance of the Earth uh, to the sun is perfect. If earth were even slightly closer to the sun, all its water would boil away and life would be impossible. If earth were only slightly farther from the sun, all its water would freeze and the landscape would become, would be nothing but barren deserts. The distance earth is from the sun also affects processes inside our bodies. Chemical reactions necessary for life occur within a very narrow temperature range. For all this to happen, Earth must remain about the same distance from the sun in its orbit. Its orbit must be nearly circular, which which it is, in contrast to the elliptical orbits of most other planets in our solar system. Uh, it, it seems like God designed this Earth to sustain human life. Doesn't that reflect the wisdom of God? And the sun is just one aspect of creation that highlights God's wisdom. We could go from the cosmic to the microscopic to look at atoms and their makeup of protons and neutrons and electrons or we could talk about the wonderful makeup of of the human body of how the eyes function about the wonder of skin study skin sometimes and what what skin does for you uh, I remember when uh yeah, no I won't go into that uh now you're curious aren't you but it doesn't matter um, God designed. You know, think about the brain and the heart and the lungs. You know, God. God does. My appliances last five or six years. It seems like. You know, my mom talks about the good old days when they lasted for decades. My, app- I'm constantly replacing my dishwasher. Um, the, the, not, not, not Sarah. The, uh, you know, the. Uh, <laughs> And God made the God made the the brain and the heart and the lungs and they and they last a really long time, you know. Um, of course, they get disease and so forth because we live in a fallen world. But the the wisdom of God, when God confronts Job in, in, at the end of the book of Job, He asks Job questions that reveal God's wisdom in creation, and He starts off this way: "Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me." Tell me, Job, if you have understanding, who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. You, you know, right? Think about that. God God is the one who established the dimensions of creation in terms of the dimensions of the atom all the way to the dimensions of the solar system, the galaxy, the universe, the distance between stars. God was the one that planned those dimensions and he goes on then in chapters 38 and 39 of job to talk about the stability of the earth god's wisdom revealed in the stability of the earth in the placement of the seas he talks about the creation of the morning he talks about the depths of the oceans he talks about the creation of light god goes on to quiz job about the origin of rain and the dispersion of rain when it falls to the earth and what about lightning and what about ice And what about temperature changes? God queries Job on all of this. And by the way, Job doesn't answer any of these questions. These things reveal the wisdom of God. And he goes on to talk about the placement and movement of the constellations. And then he moves on into the animal kingdom. And God questions Job about mountain goats and donkeys and oxen and ostriches and horses and hawks and eagles. Here's part of what he has to say. He says, do you give strength to the horse, Job? Do you adorn his neck with a mane? Who who decided that a horse would have a mane? God did. Does the hawk take flight by your understanding and spread its wings to the south? Nope. Nope, they do that by God's understanding. Does the eagle soar at your command, Job, and make its nest on high? Nope. That's done at God's command. So God's wisdom is revealed in creation. It's also revealed in redemption. It's also evident in redemption. Here's the problem. The human race is sinful and deserving of judgment. It deserves to be punished. We deserve to be punished for our sins. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are to live up to righteousness. We're to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, and none of us are. We've fallen short. We have sinned, okay? And on the other side of the equation, you have God who is what? He's righteous and holy and just. And a just judge cannot overlook sin. A just judge cannot overlook sin. He must punish sin to the full. He must punish wrongdoing to the full. And the problem comes in in the fact that God is loving and merciful and gracious as well. And he wants to bestow mercy and love and grace upon us because he loves us. There's a conundrum here. And God's wisdom is seen in redemption. For instance, in the book of Romans, throughout the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul focuses on salvation and how God, who is righteous and just and holy, could possibly save and reconcile to himself human beings who are sinful. How does God reconcile his mercy and his justice towards us, his grace and his righteousness, his love and his holiness? And the answer is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died on the cross and was raised again to life so that he he justly punishes our sin and at the same time is able to show us mercy and grace through our substitute, the Son of God, who became just like us and took our punishment for us because he lived a perfect life. And Paul talks about this for several chapters in the book of Romans, for 11 chapters, and then he breaks out of his teaching mode for a few short verses in order to openly praise God for his design and his wisdom in salvation a remarkable plan that both satisfies his justice and expresses his mercy and grace. And here's what he says, breaks out of his teaching mode. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. No one has been God's counselor or who has ever or who has ever first given to him and has to be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever. God's wisdom is revealed in redemption. And then God's wisdom is not only revealed in creation and redemption, but it's also evident in his providence. Providence is God's behind-the-scenes work. God is sovereign. He is at work in in everything. He is at work in everything. It's his sovereign influence on and control of events and lives of history and nations and individuals, all for the achievement of his goals. Give you some illustrations from scripture. Joseph in the Old Testament knew that he was destined for greatness. God had given him dreams and he was destined for greatness, but he didn't know the route to that greatness. And then his brothers sold him into slavery. Okay, he could deal with that. And then he was falsely accused of rape and he was tossed in an Egyptian, a foreign prison. And then, because of an incident two years prior, he suddenly whisked out of his prison stripes into an audience with Pharaoh, who after that interview makes him what? The second in command in Egypt. He was destined for greatness, but there's no way he could have picked out that route to greatness. God in his providence took him that route for God's reasons. And later he told his brothers, Joseph tells his brothers, his penitent brothers, who are begging his forgiveness, he said, you planned evil against me, God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. God's wisdom and providence. The book of Samuel talks about King Saul. King Saul is in a jealous rage and he's chasing. There's this, there's this chase scene in First Samuel 23 where they're going around a mountain. David's running away from Saul and Saul's catching up to him. And Actually, it's David and his army and Saul and his army. They're chasing, they're chasing. He's getting closer. And this is, this is what happened. Saul went along one side of the mountain, and David and his men went along the other side. Even though David was hurrying to get away from Saul, Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. Then a messenger came to Saul, saying, Come quickly, because the Philistines have raided the land. So Paul, uh, Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to engage the Philistines. Now, in God's infinite knowledge and wisdom, God had worked in such a way that the Philistines decided to invade um, to invade Israel at a certain time, and then that an Israelite messenger would be dispatched at a certain subsequent time in order to rot, arrive at that point in the chase where Saul is close to David. At that time, in order to divert Saul away from his, from ch- from killing David, and he had to deal with the threat of the Philistines, and so David is saved in the nick of time by the wisdom of God in his providence. God who had orchestrated the Philistines, the messenger, Saul, and David. Then there's Absalom. Absalom was David's son who rose up in rebellion against David. Uh, Ahithophel is Absalom's trusted advisor. Now everyone always listens to Ahithophel. It's hard to say, but you listen to him everyone always listens to ahithophel and everyone always takes ahithophel's advice ahithophel gives wise counsel on how absalom can crush david and bring him to his end he gives him wise advice and like i said everyone always listens to ahithophel but not this time not this time this one time they decided not to listen to ahithophel and they called in hushai the archite and hushai the archite is working for David unbeknownst to Absalom. And so he gives counter advice, advice that won't work. But it sure sounds wise to Absalom and the rest of the group. And they decide to go with Hushai's advice. And as a result, David escapes. David isn't the one that is killed. Eventually, Absalom loses his life in the rebellion. Now, why did Absalom not listen to Ahithophel instead of Hushai? Second Samuel tells us the lord had decreed by his providential wisdom that ahithophel's good advice be undermined in order to bring about absalom's ruin so absalom and all the men of israel said the advice of hushai the archite is better than ahithophel's advice these are just some examples of god's providence throughout scripture let me just give you one more example and it talks about you it talks about you if you're a believer if you're a follower of jesus christ and it's Familiar verse Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose God in his wisdom is carefully taking all things in your life All things in your life, not just the good things Not just the expected things not just the things you planned for but also the bad things the unexpected things The things you weren't looking for God is taking them and he's working them out for your good God's providence God is wisely at work through his providence So we've talked about the scope the evidence of God's wisdom I want to talk about the fact that wisdom is ascribed to the whole trinity We've been talking about God 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 and often we assume God the father But the Bible ascribes a wisdom to all three members of the trinity So it's not just the father who is infinitely wise but also the holy spirit Isaiah describes the holy spirit this way. He is a spirit of Wisdom he is a spirit of Understanding a spirit of counsel, a spirit of strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Four wisdom words right there that the spirit is. The spirit is infinitely wise. And the son of God, Jesus Christ, is also wise. Now let me ask you this. Whom does the Bible say is the wisest man who ever lived? I can't hear. Solomon, right, yeah. Solomon, that's correct. Solomon describes him as the wisest man who ever lived. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 12. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. And he's referring to himself. He's referring to himself. The wisest man who ever lived, Solomon. Of course, Solomon was not God. Jesus is the son of God. And he is wiser than Solomon. When Jesus returned to his hometown and started teaching there, his fellow villagers reacted this way. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, How did this wisdom and these miracles come to him? Where did he get this wisdom? We we heard this read to us earlier today in Colossians. That's the wrong reference. It's Colossians 2.3, not three two. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And you can see Jesus' wisdom all throughout the Gospels. Like when the crowds on more than one occasion are astonished at his teaching. Like when he's asked about taxes in, order, in an attempt to smear him. Um, and he responds with, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And his critics kind of, his critics kind of melt away at that point. Or like when the woman caught in the act of adultery is brought to him for his verdict. And the point is to discredit him. The the Pharisees know that he's going to be discredited by one group or another, depending on which way he answers as to whether they should judge the woman or let her go. But his response is so wise. And he says, let the one who is without sin toss the first stone. Everybody sort of melts away again. (laughs) Or like when the Sadducees mock his belief in the afterlife. With what they they think is a credible scenario of a woman being married to uh, several brothers successively after each one dies. And the question, whose wife will she be at the resurrection? And Jesus explains how it will be at the resurrection. And then uh, he uses their own scriptures to testify. He shows how their own scriptures testify to the reality of the resurrection in the afterlife, something that they don't believe in. And and after that exchange ends, we read again that the crowds were astonished at his teaching and his understanding. His parable of the Good Samaritan is a masterpiece of wisdom, as is his parable of the prodigal son. Jesus, the Son of God, is infinitely wise. So all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, are infinitely wise. And then finally, we'll look at God is the source of all true wisdom. God is the source of all true wisdom. God is the source of all true wisdom. All wisdom, something we haven't mentioned is the fact that all wisdom resides in God. He possesses it. It's His. He is wise by definition. There is no one wise outside of Him who hasn't gotten their wisdom in some way or another from God. Proverbs 2 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Let me just give you a list of people in the Bible whom that the Bible says God was the one who made them wise. Okay? God gave wisdom. The Bible tells us that God gave wisdom to Joseph, the one who went down to Egypt. The Bible tells us that God gave wisdom to Bezalel. He is the one who constructed uh, the tabernacle in the wilderness. We're told that the Bible was the one who gave wisdom to Solomon, the wisest man in all the earth. The Bible tells us that God gave wisdom to David. The wisdom that David had came from God. The wisdom that Ezra had came from God, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that God was the one who gave wisdom to Paul. The Bible tells us that God is the one who gives wisdom to farmers. Uh, Isaiah chapter 28. The end of Isaiah 28 talks about how God teaches farmers farming. Um, And the chapter ends with this verse he gives wonderful advice he gives great wisdom um, i was thinking about that and uh you know if i if i ever come and uh, come if you're at the hospital sometime and i come and pray with you before a surgery or something like that um, oftentimes in my prayers one of the things i often thank god for is is the wisdom and the and the science and the med- medical knowledge that our medical professionals have that God has given them the wisdom to where we've developed to a point where they can do much in order to heal um, the body. So I thank God for that. So He makes farmers wise. He also He makes the wise wise. Daniel chapter two verse twenty one talks about the fact that He gives wisdom to the wise, and, and Psalm nineteen seven talks about the fact that He makes the simple wise or the inexperienced wise. Jesus, when he was talking to his followers, promised that he would give them wisdom when they were persecuted. Look at this passage. Jesus says to his disciples that people are going to hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. It will lead to an opportunity for you to witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time for what? I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. And guess what? That was that. That's a promise not only for his disciples, but for all of his followers. But that was fulfilled. This was fulfilled in Acts chapter four. Peter and John, the, the, their persecutors are amazed at their wisdom. Acts chapter five, their their persecutors are amazed at the wisdom of Peter and the, all the apostles. And then in Acts chapter six, Stephen. And this is what we read about Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and by the and, and, and the spirit by whom he was speaking. And so Jesus gives wisdom as well. What does the Bible say about God's wisdom? That he is infinitely wise. The scope of his wisdom, it's infinite. It's infinite. It's far beyond our wisdom. The evidence for his wisdom, creation, redemption, providence. The whole trinity possesses wisdom. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And finally, we're told that God is the source of all true wisdom anyone who has ever lived who is wise at all, somehow they have received that wisdom from God. So what's the point? The point is that God is infinitely wise. His wisdom is boundless. We could say that there is no folly in him, no foolishness. He has never spoken foolishly. He has never done any foolish thing. He is not capable of folly. He is eminently wise. This week we've looked at this question, what does the Bible say about God's wisdom? And I hope, I hope, the Bible has convinced you that we serve an awesome God in terms of His wisdom. Next week, we'll look at the question, how should we respond to God's wisdom? How should we respond to God's wisdom? But let me just give you a quick preview. Because God is wise, you should trust in His wisdom. You should trust Him. That's what Jessica was singing about earlier. When I don't understand, when things don't work out, and I may not understand, those aren't the exact lyrics, but I will trust you. I will trust. I will still trust in you. So you should trust him for his wisdom. And the other thing is, because God is wise, you should go to him for wisdom. You should go to him for wisdom. Ask him for wisdom about anything. I leave you with this verse, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom about job, relationships, finances, parenting, huh? I ask God a lot, I, I often ask God lots of questions. For, I often ask God for lots of wisdom with regards to parenting. You lack wisdom, what? If anyone lacks wisdom, he, he should go to God, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him.